welcome to Pierce Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando, and we're on episode 117. Yeah. 117. Right, so what are we doing? So today we are reviewing. We are still in our book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Uh, so we are in our level up review. What, what, what? <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And we're Definitely getting close. Hyping it. We're getting close to the end of this book, which, you know, honestly, I've been able to take a whole bunch of stuff from it, and it's been pretty awesome. So this this episode we're going through create the illusion right kind of like that i i wonder if you could have switched it with inception what do you mean well i did you ever watch the movie inception love the movie inception okay right so and speaking I'm, of which yeah i could never get my wife to watch that movie really never it is i've tried a hundred times it is i think number three on the top three movies of, for me of all time it's a good movie like it's like signs gladiator i know signs everybody always gives me a hard time about that signs gladiator and inception because you can't like if you haven't watched it Understand, you cannot be on your phone while you watch it. You can't be eating. Like, you have to be in it. Or is it just me? Um, Yeah, probably the first time you watch it, for sure. <laughs> then you after know. that, you're like, whatever. Yeah. Once you know the plot, you know, you're good. Okay, so I don't want to ruin it for people, but... The the whole spoiler alert, everyone dies. No, no. Just kidding. The goal was, right, to get somebody to believe something that really never happened to actually have happened. Right. And this kind of relates with Chris Voss here about create the illusion of control where you're, you know, in this chapter, he's very clear in chapter seven that in order to make a negotiation work, the other person has to feel like they're in control, even though you're in control of the negotiation. Right. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit before. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, it's interesting because um, this is tough to implement. I don't know. Have you, you, you had success, right? We talked that one podcast, you had success and, and it worked out ultimately. Did you pick up the stuff and everything? Did you I finish did, the, yeah. you did. Okay. Have you tried any more attempts of Chris Voss negotiation tactics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll probably talk about some of them throughout, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like any of these things, like we've got to practice them, you got to try them. And, uh, and yeah, I've I found a lot of success with the range, giving a range, um, and then, you know, just in personal interactions with people, things like the mirroring, um, things like labeling emotions, uh, have been fairly useful. Um, and so these chapters we're getting into today. So we're doing chapter seven and chapter eight, create the illusion of control. Uh, and, and you're right. We have talked about some of these things in the past of like, if you can make them feel like they created the idea, it's a win, right? Like that's always the win. Is it so tough to do? I mean, it is, but like, that's what makes a really good negotiator is when you're manipulating the conversation in a way where you're not demanding, but you're leading, right? I mean, if you think about it, that's like what any good leader does. Like any good leader, I think of like the best leaders in my life because negotiation, communication, it's kind of in some ways connected with like other aspects of life. Like good leaders have to do those things, right? Mm -hmm. And the best leaders that you have make you feel like you're part of the decisions, you're part of the team, like, like not so much that you're following their instructions, but like you're following the same goal together, right? Like, like a Pied Piper. Right. Like, well, I don't know about that necessarily, but like, you know, you're, you've got this idea, this vision that it's like, no, a, I get it. Right. And yeah. so I feel like the concept here of creating the illusion of control as a good negotiator. Um, and this works when you're dealing with, uh, trying to haggle someone for prices or, uh, trying to get that raise at work or whatever it is you're trying to do of, instead of just saying like, here are my demands, here's what I need. And, and just being forceful and forcing someone to follow it. And you automatically get those defenses put up, but you you want to lead them in a way where it's their decision. That if they come up with it, then you get what you want and they're happy about it too, instead of just you being happy about it. 
No, I agree. And and that's that's what he kind of says on page 141, which I found interesting because I do find a lot of this old school negotiation happening, you know, whenever I'm outsourcing, right? This whole concept of if you take a look at uh, the same paragraph on that page, he says, the notion that negotiation was a wrestling match where the point is to exhaust your point, opponent into submission, hope for the best and never back down. Mm. And you see that sometimes, right? It's kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're like staring at someone and you're waiting, right? And I got to tell you, it's it's kind of interesting because I catch myself now when I do things like that. Mm. And sometimes I'm able to stop myself and other times it just goes poorly. But more importantly in this chapter, what I enjoyed was the switch of like verbiage, which is I think is the most difficult part. Like it's easy in the earlier chapters when you use terms like it seems that or you know, it appears or whatever. You're using like these intro words. But for instance, at the end of that page 141, he says... You know, when somebody was trying to leave, you were talking about, you know, his whole negotiation in the Philippines. Um, somebody said, you know, instead of saying they were going to leave and Voss said, instead of saying you can't leave, instead you phrase a question and you say, what do you hope to achieve by going? Like, think about flipping the script like that. Like, that is, <laughs> that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. And, and really what you're doing when you do that is, uh, I mean, I watched a, a a funny video, like I was going through TikTok for research purposes, right? And, you know, think about what you just said. Like, 10 years ago, first of all, the word TikTok, like, it was a clock. Okay. Right? Second of all, I would say, you know, TikTok has been around for six years. I don't, six years? Like, it was musically before. Okay. Then a switch. Like, there's actually, there's information on TikTok. Isn't that weird? I just think it's weird. Yeah. And when I say I was doing it for research, it wasn't like research, like, like self-improvement. No, 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 no. I'm not. <laughs> no, no, no. I was no, like it, researching like a history. Like, no, no. That's kind of like a needle in a haystack that okay. I get. But I just thought it was an interesting comment that you just made. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm just going through TikTok and um, I saw a video where a guy made a comment where it was like, next time somebody's like upset with you, a customer or a server or whatever, and they're like yelling at you as soon as they stop talking or, or interrupt them and say like four random words and it was like bubblegum blue and just like four random words. And he goes, what it does is it forces them to stop and like engage oh, yeah, a different that. part of yeah. their brain. Right. Like, and it was silly, but like what it, the truth is kind of like what Chris Voss does here. When you take somebody who's going through emotions, right. And if you were to tell them you can't leave, you can't do this, you can't. And instead you pose a question to them where they then have to think and articulate. You're interrupting that, that, emotional response that they're having, right? You're interrupting that like, uh, like they've got like, they, they, they know their way. And if you can force them to, and, and it might not always work if they're just emotional. And, and he's talked about that in the past. Like, um, and he, there's a great quote in these uh, two chapters. He makes a point where if you can't control your own emotions, how can you expect to uh, manipulate and and maneuver the emotions of somebody else? I don't think he used the word manipulate though. Uh, it's something, I mean, it was something to that effect. I mean, it really was. No, it is. No, I get it. Um, but it, so if, You've got to be able to control your own emotions, but when you can interrupt somebody's emotional response, so much of what people do is emotional, even when it comes to to negotiating a, a deal at a garage sale, right? We've talked before, like if you were to insult somebody's like, well, this is, this is junk, right? The moment you say that they get defensive and like, well, if you don't want it, and then now you get emotions are starting to come, or if you're dealing with pay raises, like if you were to pay me more then I would actually put in more work, well, if you put in more work, I'd pay you. And you start getting these emotional responses. Whereas if you can interrupt that emotion and ask a question and you can phrase it in a way where they actually have to think, 
and like, okay, well, my response is, then you're kind of for a moment at least severing that that emotional response and forcing them to articulate something, which if you phrase the question correctly, might be already maneuvering them to the way you want them to go, right? And there's there's like the trap questions and people know that. Like they know if you ask the questions, like I remember when you were a kid, you'd say, you'd ask silly questions like, you know, does your mom know you're stupid? And like, if you were to say like, no, it'd be like, haha, you just admitted you were, like there's trap questions. But if you ask a legitimate question that they ponder and think, um, you can actually move, maneuver them into the place you want them to be. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because on page 147, right, he's talking about at the very end, he says, and all negotiation done well should be an information gathering process that vests your counterpart in an outcome that serves you. Right. So ultimately, you're asking the questions for them to feel they're in the control, but you're getting information that help you later. And it reminds me of uh, probably my biggest Harley Hall of uh, 2019, uh, which there's a scenario where I went to this garage sale. I think you, I think you've seen this video before. I posted on an IG story. It was one of my uh, highlights of the year, and I didn't show everything. So, and I shared this, I think maybe in a podcast. But what ended up happening is I go to this garage sale, and there's all these Harley Davidson shirts, and you know they're priced at like ten dollars, seven dollars, and and I ask, you know, how much for for these, and they're like, yeah, these are seven, and da da da, and and they were like not willing to go down on the price. And so I said, wow, it's, you know, even if I buy all of them, you guys are still like, this is, you know, how can we make this happen? Right. It's one of the questions you ask. And uh, they just said no. And I go, oh, so how come you guys aren't willing to just, you know, offload these? Because it seems it's a garage sale and you, you know, you'd want to remove stuff and clear your garage. And they're like, well, you know, my wife kind of wants to take all these and she wants to like make a blanket out of them and, and they're special. And, and so me just asking the basic question as to why, right, became an information gathering purpose, right? And I wasn't trying to. I wasn't looking to manipulate. I just was interested, right? Were you able to use that, uh, the information they're going to make the blanket to your advantage? Were you able to say, like, that would be a dumb blanket. You should sell this stuff. No, I didn't say that. I said, instead, again, it's tactical empathy, right? Some of the things you talked about. So then after I said, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, which I thought was pretty cool. I wasn't just making that up. And I said, you know, hey, listen. If there's shirts that are left over after or you decide that you don't want to do this, hey, I'm here for you. You know, I'm willing to buy all these out and I'm willing to make a deal. And I left them a business card. Now, the negotiation took a year and a half for it to come to fruition. But a year and a half later, I get this text and, you know, hey, by the way, I'm that guy from that garage sale. I had all these Harley shirts. You know, when can you show up? And I show up in like, I don't know, I told him I'll be there in 45 minutes because 45 minutes away from where we live. I show up and I go, hey, Liz, so just wondering what happened. It's like, oh, you know, we use a couple of the shirts, but then we just found it was overwhelming. And yeah, you know, we we do want to offload this stuff. And I I don't know. It was I, I, I bought a lot of stuff. I think I paid, I want to say close to five hundred dollars and I probably quadrupled my money mm-hmm. easily. And I still have inventory left to sell. But it was one of those where I was able to exchange information. I also talked a little bit about myself. I shared Hey, you know, I do this for a living. I used to be a teacher. Now this is how I take care of my boys full time. And and so again, being in their shoes, kind of understanding that, hey, they have they have a family. I have a family. I'm not trying to, you know, take things from them. Like I, I want them to feel comfortable and give them the control. Like that was a big deal. And so 
I really see what he's going on here. And sometimes I think we may be too hard on ourselves and we don't realize that we implement some of this. I think what Chris Voss introduces a way to fine tune things and make it even better. So I don't know if that fit in there. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and like, I think what you just said was great is that a lot of these things are things a lot of us are going to do naturally anyways, and maybe not naturally, but after years of, of bargaining, whether that's at a thrift store or garage sales, or whether that's negotiating for wage increases or better contracts with employees or, or, or clients or whatever it is you're doing, you're going to pick up on some of these things and the people who are better at it are going to naturally are going to rise to the top of those fields. But these are things that um, can kind of help articulate exactly what it is you're doing that's working because knowledge is powerful. And so if you do it sometimes and you don't do it other times and you're, you can't articulate what it is specifically that you do that's helpful, um, these these specific chapters like giving you like, okay, here are the exact questions you can use and here's psychologically why this works and how it how it uh, makes an impact. Um, it, it really does help. And one of the things he said like on the page you were just at, um, he mentioned that a lot of times communication can become like verbal flexing, right? Where instead of communicating, you're just flexing your authority and hoping that you can outflex their authority, right? Like, yeah. like you're kind of like, here's here here's my position, right? And we see this all the time, whether it's political debates or or you know, whenever you have issues with like there's certain family members that like people will like it's always back and forth, two different, you know, sometimes diametrically opposed positions on something. And they have those arguments back and forth. And a lot of times it does become a contest of verbal flexing, like who can make the best claim or make the, but you got to realize like in communication, even if it's, even if it's a negotiation for a mug at a, at a, at a garage sale, you both have opposite desires, right? They want to get as much money as possible for the mug. You want to get the mug for the least amount of money possible, right? So you kind of have opposite desires in the same way. However, instead of just like, I will pay you one dollar. No, I will. I'm only take ten dollars. If you stay there, you're stuck. Oh yeah, that's like the worst. And I've seen people do that, and I'm like, you're just not gonna get the deal. It's yeah. not gonna happen. But but think about how often we do that with a lot of things. It's like just going back to that idea. Like some people never get the courage to go to an em employer or go to a client and say, you know what, I need more money. And I think that's a, a good first step. Is is a lot of people just need the the encouragement. And a lot of what talks about in this book, like if you're if you're that person, if you're listening right now, and you're like, hey, you know, negotiation, like a garage sale stuff, like that stuff might help me in some ways. But you know, even just like at work, I feel like I'm being used and abused, and I'm not getting the money that I deserve. And to be honest, that's a lot of people. And a lot of times, it's because companies and employers know that if you're not going to come ask, they don't have to give it to you. Right? Oh yeah, hundred percent. So. A lot of times it's just getting up the courage to do it. Well, a lot of times you don't feel prepared to do that. So if you were to pick up a book like this, Never Split the Difference and look through, I mean, there's literally in this chapter, or maybe it's the next one, there's like an entire script of like a conversation of like, here's how this could work. Mm -hmm. And a script like this following these tactics works about 90% of the time. And he explains that the, the the client he was coaching to do this lost her emotion, lost her control partway through that. And so it didn't work. Uh, but it it... If that's you, if you're like, you know what, I need to be able to talk to my boss. If you do get the courage and you go to your employer, you go to somebody and your your statement is, I need X amount of money or I leave. Now, that might be a powerful bargaining chip if you've got a lot going on. But if you've already got to that point and they say, no, we're not going to give you this money. And you say, like, I need this money. That's when you start using these open-ended questions. Um, what what would I need to do? Or what what about my performance is not worth this amount of money? Or how can I ensure that 
that I'm able to make this That's kind of money? That's a great question art? because that really, I mean, if you were to ask me when I was in administration and somebody were to ask me, you know, what is it about my performance that isn't worth this? I'd have to, you know, dance a little bit, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I'd have to think about that. And, you know, there's HR rules too that you got to be careful of. So it does put, I mean, it puts the onus on the individual to take control mm -hmm. and figure out why. And then they might come to a place where like, you know what? That's true. And actually, when I was an administrator and I had faculty approach me and they would ask me, and now I wasn't the one that signed the checks or, you know, but I was the VP and I would make recommendations. And so I had a faculty come talk to me and, and whenever they were able to ask me those questions and I, I couldn't find a way out, <laughs> you know what I mean? It really made me go like, no, you know what? That's right. Right. And that's what we talked about. That's one of the phrasing used. That's right. There probably is room for us to be able to, you know, bump something or provide a stipend or help you out in some way. Mm. Right. But if, if somebody would just come and just say, you know, I've done this, this and this and this and I deserve a raise. And right away, like the wall comes up right right away. Yeah, and and what I like too, and I, I've mentioned this, um, I felt like I mean I was I was a good teacher. I, that was something I had to offer. But, he was, but he still uh, is. Yeah, but um, at, you know, the position I was teaching at, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but it's it's not impossible to get people to fill those positions. But I was providing another service for the school I was at. I was doing video and some other things. But here's the problem with things like that. And and if you're working for a company, oftentimes you know this is the case. Like even if you're like in the grind, doing the day-to-day the -day stuff, and you've got upper management, and they expect things out of you, but they don't know what it's like out there in the field. You know, like they don't, and it's frustrating because you have that question, how do they expect me to do this under these restraints? But the problem is you don't always bring that to them, right? And, and if you were to bring that and say, like, okay, and I did this a few times where they would say, okay, we need this video, we need this, we need this. And then so my, my question would be like, okay, how would you like me to do that like I would ask, like, I need this, this, and this. And they'd say, no, I'm like, okay, well, how would you like me to, to provide what you want without the things that I need? Now I'm giving them the control. Like, I'd love to do this. How would you like me to proceed without the things that I need? And I think tone is everything. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I look on page 151. He says, one of the greatest of all time calibrated questions, how am I supposed to do that? Mm -hmm. And I look at that question. Like if ever, if I ever ask, how am I supposed to do that? Like right now I feel like I'm being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Right. That is such a difficult question. I, I think you did it well right there when you showed it. But, you know, he does mention on the next page, actually not the next page, a couple pages over. He says, as always, tone of voice, respectful and deferential is critical. And I think that's a learned art. Like the way you just said it, you, you've done it. I mean, I've seen you in action. You actually did it with me when you asked me about something multiple times. But I, I will say. If you can hone in that and you can you can let the person know, hey, I'm trying to provide value and how am I supposed to do that? That comes off a lot better. If it comes off as a like, hey, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. Like it's yeah. done. How do you want me to do that? Yeah. And, and are you an idiot? Like it just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work. That's what how it sounds. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I think that's a big, I mean, I, I don't want to jump forward too much, but uh, it kind of connects to that in the next chapter that we are going to be going over. Uh, he uses or discusses something called the seven thirty eight fifty five percent rule. Just remember that rule. Yeah. I, I would have. This should have been a different title for seven thirty eight fifty five percent rule. <laughs> like eighty twenty is easy to remember. Yeah, the eighty twenty rule is great. Um, this one is. It's a little. Does that even add up to a hundred? I don't math well. It doesn't seem like. It does. But is Maybe it, it does. You don't math. Um, <laughs> you don't math well. Don't math well. Um, but anyway, so the idea is, it says this. It says that seven percent of the message is based on the words. 
while 38% comes from the tone of voice and 55% from the speaker's body language and face. So very true. Like that one question, only 7% of the effectiveness of how would you like me to do this? Or how can I do this? Or any of the, the open-ended questions, there's actually, he gives like a, a long list in this chapter of open-ended questions that you can use or phrases you can use to kind of start. Um, but if only 7% of, of the power behind that comes from the words themselves, then you can't just read those, this, like the list of, of open-ended questions and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use those. Cause you're only going to be 7% effective. And that 7% is not going to be nearly enough. That is a very clear F, right? Like 7% if your tone and your body language is off. And so tone is part of it and body language. And so those are things you got to practice. And I think people know when you're faking it. And so if you genuinely don't care about like providing the service or providing whatever it is or or helping that other person or care about what that other person thinks, it's not going to come across well in your body language and your tone of voice unless you're just like a great, I don't want to say liar, but you're just really good you're, at like- You're an actor. You're an actor, right. Um, but if you care, sometimes when you care, your emotions can cause you to care- in a way that gets you frustrated or upset. But if you can, if you can calm down and come at it with like, look, I really want, like, I love, I use, I mean, this is one of my number one phrases. I said it all the time. My old school, I even say it at this school with different things. And I feel like it gets me really far is I love the school and I want to do anything that I can to help. Right. The moment I do that, it's like, okay, they like during this negotiation that we have even other times, like, okay, they know I, I've got this buy-in here. Now it's like, I would love, like, I love the school. I love this program we're doing. I want to do more. Um, here's my offer. And it's like, okay, no, we can't give you that. All right. Um, now, your actions have to support that. Yeah. I want to make that clear because I've I've had interviews where I've had people going, I love what you guys do. And I will ask a very pointed question mm -hmm. so I can, you know, read through their wall of garbage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if they, it's a very basic question, right. like, you know, who's our mascot or something like, yeah. I don't ask it like that. And I said, oh yeah. So what you think of, you know, what's our mascot's name? And if they can't tell me, I'm like, obviously you are not telling me what you really believe, right. you know? So, and I just throw this out there. This is, uh, you know, Orlando's addition to Chris Voss's discussion is that if, like Mike says, you're trying to come become authentic and which is what Chris Voss argues and throughout the entire book is you have to do the research. You can't make these grandstand statements because there will be people like Orlando or like others that will see right through it and will ask that question. And it will, it will destroy the interview and you're done. Yeah. I mean, he definitely seems to, if you're going into to something like with a client or with a, um, with an employer or something like that, where you're, you're negotiating a big deal, it, it seems like he is very big on kind of planning out ahead of time. Here's the way these discussions mm -hmm. can go. Let me list like the seven strategies that he gives in this book. Um, how would it look during our conversation and to prepare and plan now where it gets, useful for those of us who are like resellers is you can practice these things on like a more natural level mm -hmm. on day-to-day -day interactions. And, you know, when you're negotiating for like a, you know, a, a deal on an item you're buying. So that's really nice, but you've really got to practice. You got to know, you got to go into uh, a negotiation, like you said, prepared, understanding. Um, and, you know, if you don't, you're, you're, if they have more power in the negotiation than you do, they're going to win, right? So you've got to go in holding some chips in your hand. Um, and then a big part of that is going back to that idea of the, uh, the the back and forth of like the verbal flexing is it says unbelief is the friction that keeps persuasion in check. Um, so giving your counterpart the illusion of control and asking a calibrated question by asking for help is one of the most powerful tools for suspending unbelief. And I like the way if you kind of think about it like that, if, if you're 
if you're asking them for help, the person you're negotiating with, you've then given them a position of power. But the way you're asking for help, you're forcing them to make a decision that's going to be beneficial for you. Not mm-hmm. forcing them, but you're leading them in that direction. So if they think that you're on one side of the, the deal and they're on another side of the deal, there's going to be this feeling of unbelief. And it, like it says, unbelief is the, the friction. They don't believe that you've got their best interest in mind, right? And so they they believe the worst about you. So doing those like accusation audits can help, right? Like you automatically diffuse that or by asking them for help help me do this. Like, I want to do this. I need your help. How would you like me to do this? Where would you like, and you give them that, uh, that position of authority, then it's kind of sad, but it's true. It almost like fluffs them up. They get that ego. I mean, he mentions one example in here where he does something just like that. And we might get to that example later, but the person kind of sits back and like does the steeple thing with his fingers. Like that's a position of power as he's given the answer, but it's like, like Mr. Smithers? Right, like, all right, so let me give you my answer. But <laughs> what he did, what Chris Voss did by getting him to that position is he basically said, here, let me just submit authority and control over to you. You're making the decision on this. But the way the, the question was phrased, the guy would have seemed like a total you know, jerk if he'd have come out and just like said no at this point, because it's not just a yes or no question. It's like, let me give you, you've asked for my help now, so let me give you advice. Mm-hmm. But if I give you the advice, it's basically just like, don't do anything. That's terrible, right? So... And I think the specific example that was in the book was like um, he wanted to go to a um, a conference. It got approved by the boss. But as the, the conference got closer, the boss was starting to question like, you know, why are you doing this? How much is it going to cost? And all these questions. And so the question he asked him was like, so let me just ask you, like, what were you what are you hoping when you agreed for this the, in the first place? What were you hoping that I would be able to accomplish there? Right. And so then the boss is like that you would, you know, go forward and do this and this, this. They're like, okay, that's what I'm doing, right? Like, so instead of the boss being like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? The boss got to have that position of authority and say, yes, this is a good idea. I approved it. Here's what I want you to do there, right? Yeah. And so just things like that, like finding ways to make the other person feel in control. Of that the takes courage though. I got to tell you, like bosses that feel, well, they, they are in control. They're the boss. Mm-hmm. But the ones that like exert, like, you know, you, you know you've had mm-hmm. those kind of bosses that are like, I know what I'm doing. No one can tell me any different. Like that takes courage. I would say that takes practice. You you really got to be careful because w- with those type of personalities, and I- I'm sure there was a time in my life I had that personality. I mean, you talked earlier in, in one of these book reviews where you were a pit bull in a room with another pit bull. I was. Right. And and those negotiations, all it was was verbal flexing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget one where instead of me asking like, so, so tell me why you feel this way. Or he, I and said, I had probably a binder full of notes mm. that were support for my argument. And I just tossed it in front of the guy. And I said, how about all this right here? Mm. And uh, yeah, it didn't go well. Mm. That just didn't go well. So yeah, you have to. Now, here's the other thing I really thought was good that he brought out on page 153 about, here's some word. He cuts it down to calibrated questions, right? And he says, hey, you shouldn't use words like what? And how, but then he warns about why. Mm. And I always find that why sounds whiny. Mm. And he he said, he doesn't say that in here, but he says that why sounds accusatory. Right. And so I'll give you an example. You know, like today, I could have, I had a negotiation that went really bad, but it didn't go bad because I used the word why. If I used the word why, it would have gotten, let me give you an example. So I show up and this is the third time I've bought from this person, another person I had a mega haul with. Remember those trains? Mm. So I went back to that place for the third time. And every time I go, it's like a major haul. So this time I show up 
and I should have played this better. Now, maybe because it was 7 a.m., maybe because I, I didn't have my never split the difference mindset going in. So I show up, and the guy has these guitar pedals. Those of you that follow us on Instagram, uh, we'll share where you can follow us, but <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, you saw the story today, and what ended up happening is he had these pedals, and they're guitar pedals, and they sell pretty, they sell quick for me. And, you know, I usually pay up for them with him just because they're special to him. He's a musician. This is what he does. And so I go and I should have I should have done a little more research. I even forgot that they were called guitar pedals. Mm. I said something to the effect of like, whatever these things are. And he goes, uh, those are guitar pedals. And I'm like, oh, mm. like this is not going well. Right. Because there's something he cares about. And I already showed that I didn't care. Then on top of that. You know, uh, he's telling me, I'm like, oh, so how much do you want to sell these for? And he's like, well, I know that one right there goes for, and it was like $80. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, I know that one. I'm like, all right. And then, you know, he just goes, yeah, I just, I put those out there because I just wanted to see if people knew what they were. Mm. I'm like, this is bad. This is like, this is going downhill really fast because one, I should have spent more research before I even talked to the guy. Number two, the moment that he was very like getting very, uh, I wouldn't say tense, but more of like, hey, you're trying to buy something. You don't even know what it is kind of attitude. I should have slowed down. And instead of, you know, going for the deal, I should have said, hey, so w- why would you put these out? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the right way to say it. Right. The wrong way would have been like, why aren't you willing to deal with me? You know, I have already bought a lot of stuff from you. Mm-hmm. Right. That would have been really bad. And I actually... I at one point did a verbal flex and I said, Hey, come on, man. I buy stuff from you all the time. That didn't go. It didn't go anywhere. Mm. Like the, it stalled. And so what ended up happening is we get to negotiation and he's like at two twenty five, And I'm like, now I did practice getting him to say, no, I said, I wanted to start somewhere. So I said, well, what about one fifty? And he goes, no. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and instead of asking more questions, I said, hey, so I should have said, how, how can we make it happen, you know, for 150 or, or you know, how, how am I supposed to make some money on these? Da, da, da. Now, he knew his stuff, mm. right? He actually told me you can sell them on Reverb, which Reverb is another reselling site that musicians use, mm. and you can sell stuff for top dollar. So in all of that, I just ended up throwing a number. He threw a number. I threw a number. And I just got him down from 225 to 200 and I got $25 off. I split the difference with him because we both felt gross out of that. He even said, I said, you know, I don't feel good about this negotiation. He goes, I don't feel good either, but that's how compromises work. I'm like, yep. That's what Chris Voss says in his book. Yep. Except for you don't want the compromise. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's why, because you're losing when you compromise. And so I, I replayed that in my head after, and I thought, how could I have done this better? Well, what I should have done is number one, I should have asked questions using the words like how. I shouldn't use like what. You know, what is it about these pedals that they're so important to you? What What is it that, you know, made you put these out here? What is it that, you know, you, you, you know you're at 200 and, and you can't go any lower than that, knowing that, you know, I resell. Like those kind of questions probably would have led to a better conversation than a standoff of numbers. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I like that he gives like specific words here in this section. Um, he says avoid verbs like can, is, are, do, and does. Yeah, right. And I said, can we make this yeah, happen? And exactly. I just it, 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 that gives the yes or no, right? Um, 
And then he says, use the who, what, when, where, why, and how. But then he goes even more. He says, let me cut the list even further. And this is what you're talking about. What, how, and sometimes why. And he gives some reasons why why can even be like really, really tricky. And so he he says like, and only in certain circumstances are you going to use the why. But if you can stick to the what and the how. And I think that's a good negotiation tactic when you say things like, like, how can we make this work? Like, that's one that I've been using more often is because I think to be honest, it's a little awkward. The one phrase that he uses the most, which is like, how do you expect not how do you expect me? But like, how do you want me to do? How am I supposed to do this? Right. I think is the, the, the exact question. And, and it's interesting because it works in the crazy situations of like hostages, right? Like pay us the money today. I'm going to talk about faculty meetings, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I <laughs> kind mean, of the same sometimes. Yeah. But like, so like, how am I supposed to do this? Right. And so I, I feel like th- that's got to frustrate people. Like, give me the hundred thousand dollars. Okay. I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. All right. Give it to me today. Well, how, how do you expect me to do this? Like if I was on the other end, I mean, not that I would ever be a, you know, hostage taker, but, um, would be like, side of Mike we don't know about we made the deal there. right like it's not my 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 issue to figure out your how but that is where he says all the power is when you can kind of almost make it their issue to fix your problem right then they don't want to fix your problem and so your problem becomes their problem and they just want to make their problem go away right and so things get better right and so if you can but I just don't know like I get how it works and maybe like contracts for like clients or employers but that that specific question, how am I supposed to do that? And I think you gave a good example with like, how am I supposed to make money on this? Right. I think that might be a good, a good. You just got to say compromise. right. Like you got to find the right moment. And you got to say it the right way. Yeah. I think Cause that, that even comes abrasive. Yeah, no, for sure. Tone, tone is, is a big part of that. And, but I, I do like the what and how, and maybe not necessarily just like, how am I supposed to do that? But like, how can we, how can we make this happen? Right. That's when you use a lot. I've used that a lot. Like, how can we make this happen? How can we make a deal on this? How can I make how can I make sure you walk away from this happy, right? Like you put it on them. How can we both be happy? Right. So so these hows and whys, and and because today I had a a back and forth with somebody. I went to um I went to a swap meet and I'll probably be talking about that on our next. Oh, we probably episode. went to the same one. Oh, really? Yeah. The church one? No. I went to a swap oh. meet, swap meet. Oh, you went to the swap meet. Yeah, which I haven't done since being a reseller. Like Kobe swap meet? Not that one, but another oh, one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So um but anyways, I actually found something and I didn't buy it because it would have had to have been a local sale and I don't want to deal with local stuff right now. Um, but I couldn't get the guy down and I didn't want to like waste any more time with the the, the negotiation stuff. But like I, after I left, I walked away and I was like, you know what? I was able to bring him down some, but I wonder if, if I'd have used some of these techniques. Uh-huh. If I'd have used some of the like how, like um, how... But but even that, it's like I'm thinking like, okay, it's some hard. Technique, the gotta, range, yeah. the range I get, like I I used the range today and I felt like it was very effective. Like that somebody wants eight dollars for it, and I would say, you know what? Like I was thinking like three to five dollars. Boom. Okay, five dollars, right? And I'm getting the five, but I, I almost am willing to bet if I'd have said five dollars, they would have went from eight, they would have went to like six or seven, right? But because I was saying I'm thinking three to five, okay, five. Because I gave that, so the range has been an easy one for me. But sometimes the how and, and the and the what, I don't know. It's 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 you got to get the question in there well, right. Let me, let me throw a scenario that I think is applicable that isn't reselling related. So <clears throat> when I when I was an administrator, we'd have these faculty meetings. So this can apply to whenever your boss has a meeting in the office or your educator and you have a faculty meeting. Like faculty meetings are probably some of the worst experiences that you can have as an educator. Uh, I would say, and the real only reason I say is because what ends up happening, it becomes a huge, like, let's destroy the administration session. 
and a lot of people get get upset and it just people get angry and it just I mean, I've been to faculty meetings as a teacher that would go on for like two, three hours. And all the questions were like, why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? It was all accusing, accusing, accusing. Like, why if we had this and this, did you do this and this? Right. Or if I've been in business meetings uh, when I used to work for like Target and Marshall Fields and other places where we'd have a meeting and people would get up and they'd be like, why are we doing this this way? The best way to handle it would have been like, how can we make this better by the, or how are you working with us to make this like that puts the person in authority or the people that are, you know, taking action in a spot where they actually have to come up with a resolution or a solution right there. Right. It's a lot more effective. Yeah. And I think, I think specifically with those kinds of examples, when you're talking about like the back and forth, because often what will happen is somebody, the, the, the business has plan a, the employee or whoever client comes up with plan B there's problems with plan B, right? That, that Mm -hmm. have already been thought through, but that person doesn't see it yet. So instead of the employer saying like, here's what's wrong with your plan. Cause that's what often happens is like, that won't work because of this is to say something like, that's a great idea. I see this X, Y, and Z being a problem. How would you handle that problem? And then make them solve it. hundred percent. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like, that whether you whether you're a, you're a faculty member and you're dealing with administration that has no idea what they're talking about, which just happens all the time, or you're in an office and you know whoever the regional boss is, whatever comes in and you know they're not on the ground, they don't understand things, but they think they do, right? If you ask it that way, that goes a lot further because number one, it breaks down the wall of you know, this person's attacking me, right? The accusatory wall goes away. Number two, it makes that individual, now a good manager will on the spot already have solutions in mind that will put everybody at ease or they'll just say, you know what? It's a great question. I really don't know. I'll have to get back to you, right? And it makes them contemplate and makes everybody in the room contemplate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you. I think that was yeah. 100% the and, way and, I would And do. I'm thinking right now, I, I guess I'm thinking from like the position of an employer. And, and again, we probably have some we probably have several of our listeners out there who are their, not only their own bosses, but they're bosses of people, right? They've, they've hired employees to help mm-hmm. them in their warehouse or whatever it is, or, or maybe in like whatever other side hustle they've got, they've got, they've got employees under them. And yeah, a lot of times, like that's the worst when like you've thought through things and sometimes you can be only so transparent and other people come up with ideas and you know, like we've already thought through that and it doesn't work because of this problem that's here. And instead of just saying like, here's the problem with your thinking, you're in a way you're almost attacking them because if they haven't rationalized that problem yet and you're saying, here's the problem, then they're going to point to the problems in yours. Right. And it's just back and forth. And, that, and the control is lost. Yeah. And then, and then you get what he just said of, of like the untrust. There's not, there's not a feeling you don't trust the other side. But then if you were to, like I said, if you were to say like, I love that idea, you know what? The only thing that I'm like worried about is, is this thing. I, I would love to make it work. How would you solve this issue? Because when, like I, when you say that, and I know I already used that example, but the moment you say that, they then have to admit that it's a problem. Because if they don't admit it's a problem and offer the solution, then they're kind of going against themselves, right? Because they're being told like, yes, let's do your plan, but how do we get over this obstacle? Right? Because it's like, no, right, it's I, don't, I don't know how to get over that obstacle. But if you just point it and say it's wrong, it's like, no, it's not. And then you get this back and forth. So I, I don't know, again, though, how that works in, in, in negotiation for reselling. That's what I'm trying to like process here is like, how does that look when you just meet somebody for the first time 
and they've got some shoes that you want and you can't come to like an agreement? Like how do these how questions apply there? Well, I would say in my experience, it 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 takes time. Like it may not. And so here we're talking about being things being done like right away, right? Like on the spot. Sometimes it, it takes more than that, right? And so with technology, you would text or you would give your business card or whatever. Sometimes the negotiation takes longer. If you're on the spot, my experience has been when you're at an impasse and that person doesn't want to move on the price, that's a really tough one. I'll be real. Like I, I actually, I experienced that today. Uh, I had, uh, I don't know if you saw the IG story today, but there were these swatch watches I wanted. Mm. There are the Olympic ones. I'm going in thinking I'm going to be paying 50 bucks for these. Now I didn't ask for the price over the text because I'm a big believer like Chris Voss is that it in person is a whole lot better. Mm. Right. And, and you may, they'll, they'll give you some high number over the text and it depends. Sometimes you don't want to waste your time and it's good to do it over text, right? Like you did. It worked out for you, right? Last week in that, you know, when you bought that stuff. So I showed up and the guy's like, I want 350 for each of these. I'm like, ooh, 350. And now my problem was I didn't have my emotions to check. I didn't show my emotions, but I already was like done. Mm. The moment he said 350, I walked away. But I've had scenarios where people have thrown out large numbers like that. And I said, okay. So how do you see yourself selling these? Uh, do you believe that, you know, there, there's a market to sell at this price? And then the person really has to question it. So I've had people, I've asked people that question before on the spot and they've said, well, you know, I checked some comps on eBay and that I'm like, oh, okay, well, look, can we look at it right now? Let's take a look. And you look and, and usually when I do that, the person's like, oh, and so they go two rows. The other one goes, you know what? Nah, I'm just going to hold on to these. I'm going to wait. Or they go, okay, so what are you willing to go for? And then I ask them again. I said, well, I don't know. I, I don't feel too comfortable giving a price because I know you're at a certain place. Like, where, where are you feeling this? And then the negotiation continues, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not dead, yeah. right? So that's one way to apply it. That's good. I actually had somebody use these questions on me, and it, it was probably the <laughs> most effective um, and specifically at a garage sale. So I, I was the one doing the garage sale, right? It was my garage sale yeah. a while back before I moved and I was selling a inflatable kayak, right? And I had, I spent time, I got out early to my yard and I blew it up and I was sitting out there. And one of the first few people, I mean, I, I, it wasn't like the first guy, but like within the first hour, there was a guy who was kind of interested and he gives me a little bit lower offer than I was wanting. Like I wanted, I don't remember what it was like hundred and he was like at 70, right? And I was like, oh no. And he's like, come on, just 70. And I was like, no. And I, he was like, he asked a couple of questions. Like, what do we have to do? Like those types of things. And basically I was like, look, I'm, I'm pretty firm at a hundred. How about like, if you come back at the end of the day and it's still here, I'll sell it to you for 70. That was his, like, he, he saw us in there. Right. Cause then he starts asking these how and what questions that I had to answer. Right. He goes, all right, <laughs> what's the difference between $70 now and $70 at the end of the day? Right. And then, so I've got to answer. Oh, that's good. Right. And this so guy was good. Yeah. So then I was like, well, you know, like I might be able to get hundred if, 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 you know, somebody buys it later and he's, and, and, you know, if not, then I'll, I'll, I'll take seven. He goes, yeah, but, uh, you know, what I'm if using does? that line. Right. I'm using that line. It's that good, is a right? good line. And, and, What's the difference between now and now? Oh, that's so good. And so then, but then you got to have those follow ups ready. Cause then he was like, well, what if nobody does? I was like, well, then I'll sell it to you for 70. Oh, but like, what if I, what if I can't come back then? I'll just do it now. Like, I'll just do it now. And it's like, you've, you've got it. And, 
I was kind of forced to answer his questions instead of just like yes or no. It was so like, good. So yeah. So I think that is one that can be used like the. Maybe the he read this book already. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, he just was more skilled at it than I was. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there are definitely ways you can do it. Um, I just, I want to make sure that, I mean, because just to be honest, the one, just the, the range tool alone was so powerful and has worked so many times that I'm like, if I can pull out like two or three more no, just in that's my what arsenal I'm yes. and I'm getting like an extra 20, 30% on, on, on my deals frequently, man, this is a win. Like they're honestly like, cause we had somebody ask us on the live, like what's been the most impactful book. And if I can start pulling out a few more of these things and like refine these skills and I'm, I'm consistently making better deals and buying things cheaper, then it's going to be this hands down. Like there's going to be potential for just long-term like money, money, money. Oh, I've, I've lost thousands of dollars by not knowing about this stuff. I can tell, I mean, thousands of dollars, uh, just because I think of all these scenarios where I just didn't implement these things. And I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I was a good negotiator. And then I read this book and I'm like, nope, I am not. Here, one of the questions he even asks, like I love because I, I got this from you, uh, was that what about this is important to you? Right? Like that's yeah, a good one. I, right? I love like, that one. But like that, you use that, I think, a little differently than he he yeah. has it used here. But like even that, like when somebody wants you to do something, you're like, okay, what about this is so important? Like when your boss wants you to do something you think is like doesn't isn't important. Oh, it's when people want to do something obnoxious and you know it's obnoxious, that's a great question yeah. to get people yeah. to really either A go, okay, maybe I don't, or B, yeah, it is obnoxious. Mm. So all right. Hey, um, any more from this chapter? Are we ready to move on? Um let's see, just real quick. Uh, I think I think I'm good. I w- I want to take one key, and we've already mentioned this, but it's so big. The key lessons he mentions, don't try to force your opponent to admit that you are right. Aggressive Mm -hmm. confrontation is the enemy of constructive negotiation. And I'm telling you, I see this time and time again, whether it's at a garage sale, whether it's at a negotiation for a salary, whether it's at a meeting. I've seen it so many times where people will get aggressive and I find that it's a lose. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe back in the day when like, I don't know, power structures were different, but now in our society, it, it's very, you know, empathy and understanding others is a big deal. Mm. And I just don't believe aggressive natures will win. That's just yeah. my thoughts. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think too, cause there's always going to be, you know, your dominant personalities. And unless you're the most dominant with a lot of power, you're going to be able to win a lot of the time in a situation, but usually things don't end up well for those people, right? Like in the long term. So you've got to kind of be, I, I always think about it, like behind every like really dominant, powerful personality are usually a few like kind of sneakier personalities that are kind of actually manipulating things, <laughs> right? Like I, I just feel like that's kind of how it works. And not to say you have to be a sneaky person, but like instead of just being the aggressive dominant one, if you can kind of say like, look, if I can still get what I want, but I don't have to be the like, ha ha, look at me. Well, I just think about the guy that got that kayak from you for 70 bucks. Like that guy, I mean, he he ran through the questions and you didn't even see it coming, Mm. right? I mean, when's the last time you thought about that negotiation? Um, Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, right? And now you're reading this and you're going, oh, wait. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Yep. uh, Oh, I was going to say one more thing on this chapter real quick. Um, So yeah, going... We, we kind of touched on this, but it says, uh, even with all the best techniques and strategy, you need to regulate your emotions if you want to have any oh, hope of coming out on top. The first and most basic rule of keeping your emotion cool is to bite your tongue. Uh, and then he goes on to say, 
um, you know, the importance of that allows you to think, think things through to not necessarily just speak right away. And one thing that's just, a, it's, it's just true. It's one thing I've noticed in life is, and it's, you know, there's lots of proverbs and, and things that kind of point to this true, uh, as being true is that if you don't say anything, people are automatically going to assume you're smart, right? But then the moment you start like talking, you you open up for the possibility of saying something stupid for, for to offend somebody. Like one of my most powerful, not powerful, but one of the one of the things that serves me the best when I go to a new place and I'm around new people is I'm pretty reserved and so I'm quiet. And so I can kind of get a feel for people and I don't end up offending anybody, right? As soon as I get more comfortable with people and I start talking and stuff, you run more of a risk of yeah, offending I people know. and upsetting That's my people. life. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, if you could just do that, if you could just bite your tongue, even in a negotiation, just the pause, if you're ready to move on something and somebody offers you a little high and instead of just right away saying, they say 10 and you're like five right away, just stop and be, be quiet for a little bit and think, think about, okay, how can I process this? They might come down in price just from you being silent. So I, so I want to, I want to end this chapter on the note. He gives an example of the Japanese guy mm -hmm. who uses a translator, but he actually knows the, the language as a mm -hmm. translator. So I thought Mike and I should go sourcing sometime and Mike could be my translator. And well, I could see what kind of deals I can make. What would I translate? A Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. But that's, uh, you don't know a little bit like you've been know. in San Diego. It would, it would basically, yeah, it would be you speaking to me in Spanish. And here's what I can imagine. So like... <laughs> I imagine the other this person is a terrible Spanish. idea. This is just, it's not going to work. I imagine the other person speaks Spanish. You're speaking Spanish to me and I'm, I'm translating something that you're not even saying to them. <laughs> Talk about okay, this spotting is us, yeah, spotting us as, as liars. Speaking of which the next chapter we get into talks about how to spot and deal with liars. I thought that was great. No. All right. Before we jump to that, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, we are pure hustle podcast on Twitter. We are pure hustle cast. You can always give us a call. 619-738-1170. This Eleven seventy, and you can always shoot us an email at purehustlepodcast at gmail dot com. That's purehustlepodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I really want to say thank you. We, we're getting donations again, and I'm just like, wow, like that's awesome. So. There is a PayPal link below if you want to say thank you in a monetary way. We promise we won't try to negotiate a donation from you. We just, you know. It's up to you. But how do you expect us to keep doing this if you don't? <laughs> no, wait, we're not going there. All right. And hey, the reviews have been awesome. And thank you to those of you that shared with us that you enjoy the book reviews. Uh, because, you know, we go back and forth and we got one more episode uh, with Never Split the Difference. And then we're going into a new book. So if you have any suggestions, suggestions yeah, put it in the, leave us in, in the, the comments. Because, you know, we I want to do something different. Yeah. Not, not, not too far off. But Comment and different. hit the like button. You got to do both. Yeah. yeah, there you Smash go. Smash that like button. There you go. That's what the kids say. Smash it. Uh, kids, or you, can you keep saying it. the kids. Dude, we're, we're, we're like under 40. Trust me. We are ancient compared to the kids. I know. I, I got another 50 years left at the least. <laughs> at the least. Another like, lifetime. Like I, teach, I teach junior hires now. Trust me. We are ancient. That is true. That is true. All right. And, but... Uh, what else? Am I missing it? That's everything. Hey, thank you to all the reviews, though. Really appreciate them. They keep coming in and they just keep us motivated. So thank you so much for that. All right. Are you ready for the next section? Yeah. Guarantee execution, uh, which kind of starts off with this theme of yes is nothing without how. I love that. Okay. Explain that out. Yeah, I mean, he talked before. There's actually he mentioned in an earlier chapter. Uh, and he kind of goes into more detail now that there's actually three types of yeses, right? Like there's there's the yes that's just like, yeah, get off my back. There's the yes of like, like, yeah, that sounds great. Like I want to do it, but like there's no actual commitment. And then there's like a real yes. And so if somebody gives you a yes, and he talks extensively about people who 
look to get to yes. Like these salesmen who it's just like, as the moment I get to yes, I've won, right? And that's their whole focus. But the idea is if you can get to a yes, but you don't get the how, you're you're actually haven't gotten anything. So the moment you make a deal, and we're talking, especially if you're talking like big deals, right? Like, so you've, you've, you've negotiated a deal with somebody to like buy, like, hey, I've got these items. We can do maybe like a monthly thing where you can come and pick up extras, right? So if, if, if you're just talking to somebody like, yeah, that sounds great. Don't leave it with that because you're not done. You got to get the how. All right. How would you like us to arrange this? When would be a good time to meet? Can I get it on the calendar? Right? Like start to move things forward. And here's a great example. I actually learned this from uh, somebody. It wasn't even a friend, but like somebody I knew, like just an acquaintance. And right after my son was born, like people would ask things like, uh, oh, if you ever need anything, just let us know. If you ever need us to babysit or something so you could have a date night. And this person overheard one time and they looked at me and they're like, you know what? Best suggestion I ever got is when anybody offers you that, immediately take them up on it and say, yeah, when are you free? Can I get it on the calendar? Right there on the spot. Because that doesn't mean anything when somebody says something. I mean, people could have a genuine thing like, hey, let me know if you need anything. If you need oh, no, a babysitter. If you need, I if have I friends bring- all the time. They're like, yeah, we should do lunch sometime. Yeah. And I should have said... Let's get Put it on, on the, the calendar. calendar right now. Yeah, the moment. So if you can't get the how, the yes means nothing. But if yeah, somebody's like, hey, let's do lunch. Let's do like we should get together sometime. Great. When do you want to do it? Well, you know, maybe sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, great. Where do you want to meet? With like immediately start moving to the how. No Otherwise, you don't have a real yes. Well, but but what they what were they really offering in the first place? No, I agree. I agree. No, and it's just commonplace. I mean, all the time. Hey, we haven't hung out. We should do. I'm, I will tell you. Now, the one thing you have to understand with those is that that's just what people say. And so you can't, you know, I'm always a fan of, well, I used to expect things from people. I just don't anymore. I kind of do. I expect things from Mike a little bit, you know, but <laughs> for the most part, you you know, I would say that's good because it cuts like that from happening ever again. Yeah. Right. And so, so it's good, but... <laughs> I don't know. I got to do that again because I've had people tell me that stuff like that. Oh. Isn't that isn't that a good idea? Just like immediately get to the how. But like as awkward as that can be, you've got to do that in, in negotiations too, right? You got to get to the place where it's like, all right. I mean, think about even for like the podcast, right? There's times when we're setting up interviews with people. We talk to someone, hey, like we'd love to have you on the show, right? But if we don't move past that, we'll never end up with them on the show. But we got to get to like, all right. How are we going to do this? Let's get it. Are we going to do Skype? Are we going to like, and, and you just move forward. And so thinking about that with, I mean, the the political answer, and you know this because, you know, being in management and management is often like this. There's often a like, that sounds great. Like, let's let's review that like next week or let's and it's kind of things get put on the the the, the burner. Right. Like, we'll get to that. The back burner. I do this to my students all the time. They come up to me, Mr. Swift. Can we do this? Can we do that? It's like, yeah, let's talk about it tomorrow. Can we get a change? Can we get new seats? Uh, yeah, I'm going to probably let's let's talk about it tomorrow or next week. And then they forget to ask. And I'm like, sweet, I don't have to worry about it. But if you can get to the how negotiations can actually start happening and, and management and people will often say yes, because that's what you want to hear. But at the moment you get to the, all right, now let's get to the how real negotiation starts. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Yeah, my oldest son is a he's he's good at this. Getting like, to the how? Oh yeah, because I'm like, oh yeah, well eventually when dad it, like on Monday, oh, right after school, like he calls me on it. Now, it, it gets me to take actions. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> so again, this applies to all aspects of life. All right, so 
you know, I th- there's only I I thought that there was some good principles on there. I think some of it was kind of like repetitious, but mm-hmm. I did. There's a couple of takeaways. And one thing I wanted to talk about was just because they say yes, and you kind of mentioned this, it doesn't mean that it's a yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I'll give you an example. Um, actually, let me read what Chris Foss says. So on page 172, we're jumping a lot on this chapter. Uh, he talks about you know this individual who believed that the whole team was on board with something. And then it doesn't happen, right? And he says we could all we could have avoided all that we had asked a few ca- if we had asked a few calibrated questions. How does this affect everybody else? How on board is the rest of your team? Let me I'm gonna stop there for a little bit in a moment. How do we make sure that we deliver the right material to the right people? How do we ensure the manager of those we're training are fully on board? Mm. And so and and you know, obviously, you know, destiny or providence, whatever you want to call it led me to be a full-time reseller. But I did have this opportunity to become a principal out of school before I became a full-time reseller. And I swore I had everybody in the room. Like it was, I think there was maybe 25 people I interviewed with. And I thought I killed it. Like I walked out of there. I'm like, this is it. And I already knew the, the, some of the faculty and they're like, Hey, Orlando and you know, high five mm-hmm. hugging me. Like it was, I thought I was in. Mm-hmm. And not until I read this did I go, that's where it went wrong. Because mm. I always put it that, you know, maybe this other individual got the position because they had more letters next to their name or maybe, you know, they're better answering questions or blah, blah, blah. But what I had that the other person didn't have is I already had a very good connection. Like I had a shoe and I had advocates for me before I ever showed up. I had a good reputation before I showed up. Mm. But the question I should have asked, the number one question is, and this is kind of that question, you know, we've shared before about interviews. Is there anything from this interview that I haven't answered that would question you, question whether you should hire me or not? Remember that question? Okay. I think this is the same question that I should have asked is, uh, sorry, here it goes. How on board is the rest of your team? So the question would have been like, so it seems like many of you are on board with me. Is there, are there any of you on the, or is there any questions out there that I haven't answered that maybe there's some hesitation? Mm. Like I would have had a whole feel for the team and maybe I would have walked out of there not celebrating because mm. I walked out of there thinking it was a slam dunk. And I thought, you know what? That's a good point because not when you're negotiating, sometimes you're not negotiating one person, you're negotiating with a bunch of people and you may get the strongest voices in that room that stroke your ego and you feel really good about it. But it's those two or three that may do <laughs> things yeah. moving forward. Yeah. And, and and he definitely specifically talks here, like you might even be dealing with the CEO of a company who's making decisions, but behind everybody, he says here, you have to be aware behind the table are uh, level two players. That is parties that are not directly involved, yep. but who can help implement agreements they like and block the ones they don't own. And I have to talk about like gatekeepers to even get to like the big decision makers. But even behind decision makers, there's there's other people who are involved. This can work to your favor. I'm thinking specifically with like garage sales. This one's like good to use when it comes to like spouses, right? Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you want to get the sale before the spouse comes out because you know like, hey, the, this wife is selling husband stuff or this husband is selling wife stuff. 99% of the time you want to get out. Right. In the and car, so like, gone. So they're like, I don't know, my husband's inside. Like, I, I don't know how much he wanted for this. And that's probably a good thing because you got more information. Like you can, but sometimes it actually works your favor in this way, right? You can kind of joke with somebody like, uh, you know, 
what would your wife think if like guys like selling something? It's like, man, you really want to bring that back in, right? Like I'm, I'm like when he, especially when they joke, like because I'll I'll bring up something like my wife's gonna love when I bring this home, right? He's like, yeah, mine wants me to get rid of it. Boom, we've got a connection, right? So then it's like, how That's much, good. right? And so then they he gives me a price, and I'm like, oh come on, I know your wife would be okay if you just as long as you get rid of it, right? And then we got this back and forth going, or sometimes it's the opposite. It's like I, I one time I bought a whole bunch of cool toys from this lady, and she was like. I just don't want my husband to like have these anymore in the house. Right. And so I was like, I was able to do this, like, you know, how can I help you make that happen? Exactly. Right. So, but anyway, so just realizing that sometimes, sometimes the, the decisions, you know, when you're in something like that, you don't want both parties there. And sometimes though, you got to realize that, Hey, I'm dealing with one person, but they can't make the sole decision. So sometimes you do have to say like, Hey, can you, can you call that person? Cause I've had times where it's like, yeah, maybe I could do this much. Like, I think a hundred bucks. And it's like, I don't know. That's what he told me. And it's like, okay, well, can, can we actually like maybe ask him? Cause I would love to go down more. And if they're stuck somewhere, sometimes bringing in that other person because they're making a decision, they don't know how the other person is going to feel. And so recognizing that there's multiple parties involved, whether you realize it or not can be very helpful, <clears> especially <throat> when you're dealing with things like getting a, a, a raise at a, at a job, you might be asking your boss, like, Hey, I want this raise. And they might be like, yeah, we want to give you this position, this thing. But like maybe they haven't cleared it with HR or maybe like their board hasn't said it's okay yet. And so you got to jump through a few hoops before you understand that the yes is actually a yes. Yes, I agree. I And and I would, the other part I would say is work that angle of understanding who is the person that makes the decisions. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge because, you know, in both scenarios, if one person wants to get rid of it and the other person doesn't, you play to, you play to the person that wants to get rid of it. Because they're going to lay the pressure on, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just my thoughts. All right. I don't know the Pinocchio effect, spotting liars. Yeah. So it, I think if one of the strongest parts, of, and it's, I don't, I, I would say it's something that to me is common sense, but I like how it breaks it down. Basically that people that lie talk a lot, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> like especially when it's, and, and they use third person pronouns, right? Because they want to distance themselves instead of saying I. And I find that, I don't know, I found that to be true throughout my life. Do yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, I think the pronoun thing was good. I also, I, I appreciated the Pinocchio effect. Um, I heard, I'm I'm an introvert. I know, you know, on the podcast, I do a lot of talking. So, you know, it might not seem like I am, especially if you see some of my like Instagram or TikTok stuff. I, I do some silly things, but I'm I'm very <laughs> introverted. Um, and so we live in a culture and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm like totally like assuming on a lot of our, uh, a listener, so I apologize for that if I'm wrong, but I'd imagine that that there's probably more resellers that lean towards introversion than not. Maybe oh, maybe I'm way off. Yeah. But there, we live in a culture where it's almost seen as like a bad thing to be introverted. That like being extroverted is like the right and successful way to live. And if you're if you're introverted, you're shy and there's something wrong. And that's simply not the case. Like there there's nothing wrong with being introverted. Introverts have a whole lot of skills that extroverts have, and extroverts have skills that introverts all have. They're just two different types of people, right? Like there's not one right one. Now our culture does tend to favor one over the other in a lot of situations. So when I, when you hear things as an introvert, that's like a positive for you or maybe a negative for intro or for extroversion, it can be helpful. Cause it's like, ah, oh, see, like there's, I'm not necessarily anything wrong with me. And one statistic that's kind of from things that I've read and, and I might be off here, but a lot of things point to the fact that extroverts tend to lie more than introverts. And part of the reason why is potentially because they're talking more and so there's more likelihood of them to lie. There's more opportunities for them to lie mm. and that they want people to to maybe like them. They want to like, they'll, they'll embellish stories maybe a little bit more because it, you know, makes them the life of the party. 
but the 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 that is true though. The Pinocchio effect is when you're lying, you tend to use more words, more complex sentences uh, instead of just like a yes or a no or like, hey, no, I didn't do that. But like if you're caught in a lie and and man, I noticed this with students, man, because they haven't learned how to lie as well yet, but but they do lie a lot. <laughs> I always tell students, you're a terrible liar. Yeah. That's a badge of honor. <laughs> but they, you know, they start giving you excuses and it's like really long drawn out things. And it's like, where is all like, you're you're clearly lying, but like I I I maybe I appreciate your creativity here because you're using a lot of words. So even noticing that like in a in a negotiation could be important. Like um whether it's a negotiation with a friend, a spouse, or a client, right? If there's a lot of talk, they're they're explaining themselves and they're using lots and lots of words and complex sentences, there's a chance that there's there's lying happening, which could be used to your benefit, right? Like if you're if you can spot those things or recognize, hey, maybe you're not telling me the truth. Um, especially if it comes to like, does this thing work? Right. You're trying to buy it at a garage sale and it's like long old story about it. And it's like, oh, I don't really know. Like I almost Oh no, when it's when it becomes a long story, like and I don't know. You know what? That's a hard one because I've had the sweetest, like kindest person going, yeah, hundred percent works. And I go home and it doesn't work at all. Yeah, but like that's all he said. Hundred percent works. He didn't say anything but, but, else. But here's the difference, though. The okay. difference, I think, is like sometimes you get somebody who gives you a story, like, "Yeah, this was my, this is my son's. He used to play with it all the time." And well, and you get stories. But I think the the part where you might be a little bit more like, "Are you sure this this thing works?" Oh yeah, you know, sometimes you know when you plug it in, it, oh, it yeah, works. No, 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 but if you push true. it, and then there's like lots of like yeah, explanations, you're 100%, then you're yeah. like, oh, you're "Okay, right, now right. I'm not so yeah. sure, right?" Um, so I think. I think, you know, there's, there's benefit to knowing that I like the rule of three that he gave there of like getting them to say yes, three times, um, in something and not necessarily like the yes and how part, but, but even with like restating what they've said, right. It's like, is this what, is this, is this your, the thing you're making? Like, so you don't want to sell this to me for any less because it's, it's still new and it's sealed and, and you bought it for a hundred bucks. So you don't want to sell it for less. Yes, that's right. Boom. You got one yes out of them. Right. Um, and, you know, you, you did buy this five years ago and like, but, you know, it was a hundred bucks when you bought it and you get them to say yes again. And how can I get you? And you're, you're starting to use these things to make them say yes. Um, and we've talked before about getting them to say no is a good thing. But if you can get the well, right This is yeses, when the deal is, is like, made. Is made. Right. And now you want the pressure to be on for there is no turning back anymore. Yeah, and you want to get with, the how. Yeah. And with every yes, you're farther away from backtracking. Right. All right. Now. I'm going to share, I, I so I'm going to go to the Chris discount. That's a good one. Just because, so I use this all the time, the Orlando discount. Uh, and so one of the strengths that I play to all the time is like, you know, I joke around with people, I smile, I laugh, blah, 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 blah. And it's just because that's who I am. Like, I'm not, I never have to fake that. That's one of your extroverted uh, superpowers. Yes. I will say I've been accused of embellishing. That is true. That is true. I, I can't deny that. You've been yeah. accused of embellishing yes. or you have embellished. No, I, no, so if you, if, so my friends who grew up with me are like, Orlando, that's not how I went. I'm like, yes, that's exactly like Orlando. And then I have to really think about it. Now I will say the older you get memories change and you think of things in a certain way. So no one really knows. You hear that complex <laughs> sentence that he's given to explain himself away? It's just because it, it's funny. Well, there are, there are like ancient proverbs that say like the more words that come out of your mouth, the more likely you are to say things that aren't yeah. true. It's very true. It's very true. Man, I'm just laying yeah, it all quote, out there. Quote of the week. Uh, <laughs> it's better to it's better to be think to be thought a fool than to, uh, 
What is it? It's better to be silent and thoughtful than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, thanks. All right, now. I wasn't saying that about you. I'm just saying yeah, that was hey, one of those ancient proverbs. It's all right? good. It's all good. All right. Now, the Chris discount. It's interesting because, you know, Chris is functioning kind of as a retailer a little bit here. Um, and, you know, he gives a story about he goes to a retail store and he's trying to get a discount. Which we've talked about. We don't know if we want to do this because people would get fired if they give us a discount that they weren't supposed to give us. You know what I mean? But let's say they wouldn't, right? So Chris talks about, talk about Mr. Voss, talks about how he goes to the store and he's buying some shirts. And he, you know, he asks if he can get a discount for whatever, if he joins a certain program and the lady says no. And then he says, he, he decided to try another angle. And he says, my name is Chris. What about the Chris discount? Mm. Now, I don't play it like that. Usually when I when I try to work a deal, whether it's at a retail store or whether it's, you know, I don't know, wherever I'm at, I'm at a restaurant trying to get something extra or whatever it is, I usually go. Now, I know that's for everybody else, but hey, come on, you know, and this is this is me. We're talking. You know, I don't say I don't say this is Orlando. Like, yeah. you don't care who Orlando is, yeah. but I say this is this is me. I'm a little different. Right. I've been nice to you. Like, hey, you know, can we work something out now? There's two ways that they can come across. Number one, you come come across like a sleaze bag in a car. Oh, did I say car? Okay, no offense to any car salesman, but you know what I'm talking about. There is that stereotype. The stereotype. Typical okay, used car salesman. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not accusing anybody who's a listener who's a legit car salesman. Okay. Just throw that out there. Don't want to get canceled. We just lost a bunch of. I don't want to get canceled. Okay. But. You know, you come across like, you know, you watch those movies. It's kind of like Joe Pesci in Home Alone when he smiles at Kevin and his like gold teeth like sparkle. Yeah. yeah, right. You look really like shady. You can come across like that. And I've had people actually say, Orlando, you come across like that. But at other times, if you develop the right rapport within it, that's huge. Rapport, rapport, rapport. With an individual, you can come across and jokingly say something like that. So don't say it right off the bat. Build a relationship, whether it's 30 seconds. Hey, long day. Mm. You know, how are things going? Or when they ask you, big thing is, how's your day? Instead of just saying fine and ending and go, hey, how's yours? Seems like it's busy in the store. Like, what's going on here? Da, 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 da. Then after that, you can go, you know, I was wondering, like, I know this is the way it is, but you know, can we work something out or something to that effect? You know, you can, sometimes you'll win and sometimes you don't. It's kind of like Tim Ferriss says, like you're going to get a lot of no's, but there's always that chance of a yes. Yeah. And I, what I really liked about this one is there's, he actually kind of points on two things that are really powerful. One, using somebody's name when you're talking to them is extremely mm. powerful because people love to hear their own name, but like anything, because that's known and people know that um, it gets overused. And so a lot of the, shady salesmen, as it were, who like, hey, here's a tool. They overuse it. They use it too much. And so like in one conversation, they say your name like 10 times, right? And it's like too much. And and that's where the Chris, uh, the Chris discount comes from is like, okay, so if somebody's like, hey, Michael, so I've got this this plan for you, blah, blah, blah. And, and then when they're like, come on, Michael. So Michael, and, and they use my name one too many times. It's like, all right, now I know that this isn't legitimate. This is fake. So the idea is use their name. It is a great, powerful tool. It's, people love hearing their own name. It shows that you've connected with them. Now, I will throw some reservation out there. I would say build rapport before you do that. because And maybe you and I will disagree on this one, but you ever had a scenario, you've watched this play out where somebody like sees somebody and the name names on their name tag and they're like, John, thanks so much. 
And it just comes off so inauthentic because they never struck up a conversation. No. They just call them out by their name. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And But that's why I think, yeah, of course, tone and, and body language are important there. But I'm just thinking like, so today, I, while I was at the, the swap meet, I'm, I'm trying to move quick. And to be honest, because of my being introverted, if I don't see something necessarily right away that I, I'm interested in, I'm not the first one that's going to like start up a conversation with a seller um, unless it's like, I think I can get something out of it. Maybe it's messed up, but that's just realistic, right? I've only got so much energy that I can devote to to, to talking to people, right? So um, if I'm looking at a booth, it's like, all right, nothing, I'm moving on. But then I see something, I'm kind of looking at it. If I start off with this, like I'm focused, I'm looking and like somebody's like looking at me and I'm not making any kind of conversation with them. Like you do a lot of like, as soon as you walk up, like, hey, how's it going? Real early morning, right? I've heard you do stuff like that with garage sales. Or, hey, good morning. Now, once you actually do start to like, hey, how much is for this? Or you start talking like, man, these 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 uh these cool military pennants that you have, these are really neat. Um, and they're starting to talk to you. You're talking about prices a little bit, and you're like, um, yeah. So, anyways, my name's Michael, or what's your name? And you actually like shake hands, you say their name, you have this conversation, maybe use their name once in the conversation, um, so that they know. Yes, that that that's nice. That yeah. So that's what I mean is like that the the deal I almost made with the person where I like could have maybe got, like, I would have made some profit if I did a local sale, but I'm like, uh, unless he gives me exactly what I want right now, I'm walking away. It's not worth my time. Had I have stopped, had a conversation with him a little bit, shook his hand, asked 100%. his name, like I could have gotten a lot further, right? Because I make that connection. Then when you do the like, Hey, um, you know, what's the, I don't, what's the mic discount? I don't know if it works exactly like that, but he gives a good example where he walks into a bar and he, he goes to sit down next to this guy. It seems kind of grumpy. And the guy's like, Nope, don't sit there. Right. And so the first thing he's like, why not? He goes, well, because I'll, you know, beat you up, whatever. So then he put out his hand. He's like, hey, yes, that's a PG version of the story. Uh, how's it going? My name is Chris. Right. It immediately humanizes him because a lot of times like it's just buyer seller, buyer seller. But the moment you have that human connection and you're not just another person, you're not just one of those random people. But hey, I'm Mike. How are you? Right. Like I'm Mike. You're Chris. Nice to meet you. Boom, now we've got a human connection. It's a lot, just like the whole face-to-face -face thing is harder to be mean to somebody than it is over text or, you know, when you're driving. Oh, yeah. The same thing is true. The, like, once you know somebody's name like that, the conversation's just different, right? It, it just really is. So uh, I, I think that one's good. Um, but yeah, do that. Get somebody's name. Shake their hand. How's it going? But, I mean, I don't know if it works every time. Like, hi, I'm Mike, right? Like, nobody wants to be that guy. But if you're already having a conversation, um, hey, just these, get, you just got to read really the person. Cool. Yeah. I mean, part of it is just learning and reading people, yeah. right? Because some people, they don't want to share their name and you might hurt your deal. You know what I mean? But uh, you just got to read it. I don't know if I'd want to deal with people who don't want to share their name. Like, that sounds very black market-ish to me. No. Hey, how's it going? What's your name? <laughs> oh, I'm not giving you my no, name. it's like the person that works, they hate their job. They don't want to be there. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes they don't want a conversation, right? And so anyways, but that's very few. That's very few. Okay. Hey, I had a, um, I want to... We're almost to the end here of this chapter. Yeah. I wanted to share this. Uh, I wanted to share a story here, and I, I'm speaking in in vague terms because I don't know. I just feel like it. So I remember when I was an administrator, I had this big shift I wanted to make, and me and and the and the principal had put every all our plans together, and we had we had vetted this to the T. We had surveyed teachers, we had surveyed parents, uh, we had everybody on board. So we thought, <laughs> and let's say it's a Wednesday and on Friday, you know, we had planned on sharing this information. Well, so Wednesday we got everybody to say yes. 
And then, you know, we went back to business as usual. We're like, hey, Friday, we'll make the grand announcement. Well, we didn't stay focused. And what ended up happening is when we dropped the knowledge on Friday, one individual who had major influence backtracked out of all of it completely and destroyed our plans. <laughs> Here's where things went wrong. So Chris Voss on page 185, he talks about there's a critical lesson here. And he's talking about a story about somebody that had this deal going and everything was going really well, but they didn't stay focused. They thought they had it done. They thought they made it happen. And he said, he says, there's a critical lesson here. The art of closing a deal is staying focused to the very end. There are crucial points at the finale when you must draw on your mental discipline. Don't think about what time the last flight leaves or what it would be like to get home early and play golf. Do not let your mind wander. Remain focused. Had I played out that scenario to the end, the announcement would have either A, been made on that Wednesday when everybody's on board, or would have double-checked on Friday, got the yeses one more time, and made it happen. But the problem was, things were already in the bag. We thought we were good to go, and it fell apart. And when I read this, I go, that's so, so true. And I, whether it's reselling and you have a bulk buy that's happening and, you know, it's, it's one of the things I see people do all the time is that they have a deal happening and they walk away thinking it's going to happen. And I see another reseller come in and it's over, mm. right? They don't seal the deal. Or I've seen, you know, individuals that come in and they interview and, you know, they have a contract, but they're like, oh, hey, you know what? I actually, um, I got to go to the airport or I have to go take care of this. Can I come back the next day? And I've, I've seen it happen where another candidate is like waiting in the waiting room and you bring in that candidate and that person's better and that person gets hired and then that person gets a phone call. Like you have to see it through. Whatever deal you're having, don't feel comfortable when you get that yes, because like he says that whole chapter, that yes is not finality till it is completely done. So anyways, any thoughts on that? No, I think that's good. <laughs> okay. All right. So, hey, anyway, so a couple of things to remember from these last two chapters. Okay. The first one is ultimately, right? Negotiation is letting others have their way, but you're still in control. Right. But he talks about that's what negotiation is. And the second part is guaranteeing that execution, right? From start to finish and not getting kind of lackadaisical about it. With that, hopefully you're able to negotiate and never split the difference. And with that being said, hey, make sure to be real. Be relevant. And be reselling. Please. Please.